Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. And right now, as he marched in with his entourage, here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hi, my friend. Hey, have we heard from Dr. Zubelfluster or no, whatever his name? That's what I thought. Yes, and he sent me something with a German name that I won't even begin to pronounce, but it's a instrument for uh, taking the shell off of a soft-boiled egg and eating the contents of a soft-boiled egg. It's an instrument that... Does this really intrigue you? <laughs> well, you sent me a video. Now I know so how it works. it's a soft-boiled egg. Right. And it's in a little cup like that. Yeah. And he's, he sent you a video that he thought was absolutely world-needed yes. at this time. And, and it was interesting because I Oh, I'll, I'll bet did. it was earth-shattering. I'm surprised they didn't have it on Fox News. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was good. Thanks, Schnitzel. So did you try it? Well, no. I don't have one of those little instrument things for... Oh. But I might, I might see if I can find one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to talk well, about this Before morning? we start, anybody that bought my book on Amazon, yes. would you please, if you wouldn't mind, giving a review on Amazon? Oh, yeah. I would appreciate that. I'll give you a review, too. Thank you. I absolutely enjoyed the book, and and for the personality that was the lead character in the book, knowing that it was you, yes, I absolutely enjoyed it and wondered where you went wrong. <laughs> That's what a lot of people. You ought to write a book called "From Cowboy to Chiropractor." <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would sell. <laughs> don't think that would sell. <laughs> okay. So today uh, we're just going to go back to 1950 for a few minutes. All yeah. Right. All right. So 1950, we're in Rawlings, Wyoming, okay. and there's a couple of guys working. One guy's on a big old excavator, and he's digging holes. And uh, while he's digging away, a guy down on the ground yells at him and says, hey, wait a minute. There's something here in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And he says, what is it? Well, it's some kind of a wooden barrel. And he says, well, there's a lot of whiskey barrels buried around in this area, so it's no big deal. It's just another whiskey barrel. He says, well, this one's different. This one has bones in it. Oh, my. They had cracked open the top, and there were bones. So the worker in the excavator, he got down from the cab onto the street. They'd been excavating for a new business that was going in there in Rollins, Wyoming. And he dug down several feet when the barrel was found, and the top of the barrel had split in two, and they could look down in, and there were a bunch of bones. Really? Okay. So, Rollins, you know, in 1950 was a pretty small town, and it's typically the case in small towns. News traveled fast, and before the two men realized, they had become surrounded by a bunch of townspeople who had heard of the discovery of some bones. And as the crowd gathered, the workmen removed some of the bones, and they notified the authorities. Okay. 
So it's still 1950. Mm-hmm. When the medical examiner arrived on the scene, he removed more of the bones, including the skull, and that's when he noticed part of the skull was missing. Wait a minute. The intrigue. And all this was in the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. So the medical examiner told the police officer, he says, uh, the top of this skull has been sawed off. You're getting pretty gruesome. Oh, I'm not done. (laughs) I was afraid of that. And by the looks of it, he said, I'd say it was done by a doctor. Oh, my. So then they asked the question, isn't this old Dr. McGee's place? So uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. I can't wait. Okay. So the medical examiner said, I think we just found Big Nose George. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even going to make a comment. Okay, here we go. We talked about Big Nose Kate. This is Big Nose George. Now, Big Nose George Parrot, also known as George Francis Warden or George Manus or George Curry, gained his name from the rather large proboscis on his face. Yeah, but isn't it interesting his last name was Parrot? I thought that was interesting, too. Well, Parrot was an outlaw who terrorized the Wyoming Territory, the Dakota Territory, and portions of Montana uh, from much of about the 1870s. So now we're back to 1870, right in there. Okay. So while he was rumored to have ridden with Frank and Jesse James before they came to fame, he mostly traveled with just unknown uh, outlaws. Nobody knew him. But Parrot is famous in the uh, history of Wyoming, not for the crimes he committed, but for his extremely unusual death. Hmm. And we're going to get to that. I figured. So not much is known about the man. There's no records of when he was born, who his parents are, or where he was from. The story of George's demise began, began one day in August of 1878 when he and his gang decided to rob the Union Pacific Westbound Express No. 3, which operated near Medicine Bow, Wyoming. The gang pulled up a section of track, but before they could complete the robbery, an alert foreman discovered the damage and warned the oncoming train. Oh, my. So already they're not very good at robbing trains. Now, although the damage was repaired and the train eventually passed without incident, a local deputy sheriff by the name of Robert Whittlefield and a special agent from the Union Pacific, Henry H. Tip Vinson, decided to track down George and his gang. Uh, Whittlefield and Vincent followed the men to a place called Elk Mountain, but as they drew near, Whittlefield was shot and killed by one of the gang members, a guy named Dutch Charlie. Uh, Interesting name. Dutch Charlie. Not to be left out, George shot and killed the special agent, Vincent. Holy So now cow. they've already killed two, you know, a, a police officer and a, and a special agent. Yeah. So, not very good guys. No, so, no. So, the gang hightailed it to Montana, stopping along the way to rob a, a store, a mercantile store. Once in Montana, the gang uh, holed up with a group of trappers. Now, unfortunately for Parrot, not only did he have a big nose, he also had a big mouth. Boy, that's a mess. <laughs> While in town, he often bragged about his exploits, what he'd done, telling people of his gang's intention to rob the train... And how they killed the two lawmen. I mean, would you brag about that? So he was sitting there telling people he didn't know? Yeah. Just, you know. uh, Never did graduate from grade school, did he? No. 
Well, so that led to the capture and the hanging of one of the gang members, Dutch Charlie. Oh, he got caught. Poor old Dutch Charlie. And uh, a group of vigilantes pulled him from the number three train, the very train they had tried to rob, and hanged him from a nearby telephone. They didn't wait, did they? No. They, they didn't. They, they let him have they, it. They got her done. That was what we need today. <laughs> we do. So Parrott's gang continued to hold up stagecoaches, uh, raising the reward for his capture to two thousand dollars. Which in eighteen seventy nine—that's a lot of money. Uh, you know, forty or fifty or sixty thousand today, at least. Yeah. So shortly after July eighteen eighty, Parrott was in Miles City, Montana. You've probably been there. Yep, and that's a good place to get in trouble. Okay. Okay. Spending the money he'd gained from his many stagecoach robbers. As legend has it, the landlady of the boarding house where Parrot chose to stay had been a passenger on one of the stagecoaches oh, he had robbed. Oh, he's so in she, trouble. She recognized him. Yeah, well, his big nose. <laughs> Obviously, even with a bandana. Yeah. <laughs> it would probably... Can you imagine with a bandana, it looked like a tent. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll move on. Okay. Okay, so anyway, she turned him in to Sheriff Robert Rankin. Uh, took one of his deputies, and they rode over to Miles City, Montana, where they arrested Parrot without any problem. Really? They just got him. Uh-huh. Now, on the train ride back on August 7th, 20 masked men, reportedly the same mob who had lynched Dutch Charlie, so a vigilante group, yeah. boarded the train. They pulled Parrot out to the platform put a noose around his neck and strung him up. Oh, really? Well, it's not over. Oh. As Parrott began choking, the group lowered him and demanded a full confession. When Parrott refused, they hoisted him up again. Uh-huh. Parrott soon kind of gave gave in, and he confessed to all of his crimes, including the killing of Special Agent Vincent. Now what? Now uh, Parrott stood trial. So they didn't keep hanging. Oh, they didn't keep no. choking him. Nope. Oh. So he stood trial on December 15, 1880 in Rollins, Wyoming. He was found guilty and sentenced to hang almost four months later uh, in 1881. Now, he really wasn't anxious to be hung a second time. Can you imagine? Yeah. So Parrott determined to escape his jail cell. And on March 20th, 1881, he made his move. What, what jail was this? It's in Rollins. In Wyoming. Rollins. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. So, uh, on March 20th, 1881, he made his move. He managed to loose himself from his heavy metal handcuffs mm. and used those cuff, cuffs to attack the sheriff, Sheriff Rankin. Okay. Started beating him up. Oh, my. So, while Rankin received some pretty bad injuries, Parrott's escape was spoiled by the sheriff's wife from her home in the house, that which was connected to the jail. Uh, she heard all this ruckus going on, heard the beating going on, and seeing her husband being attacked, she locked the door to the jail so that Parrot could not escape. So he actually got out of the cell. He got out of the cell. But he's locked in the office. Yeah, so he's still locked up in there. Okay. Well, the townsfolk had had enough of Parrot. Two days after the failed escape attempt, they stormed the jail. They dragged him out to a nearby telephone pole. And this gets a little bit gruesome. Well, it's not. You'll well, see. Why should we be surprised? <laughs> exactly. They tied his arms and legs and then threw the end of the rope up and over the pole. The group then slipped the noose around Parrot's neck and they strung him up. However, the rope broke. You can't buy good rope anywhere. He fell so hard to the ground and managed to untie his hands. Uh, His feet were still tied, but Parrot climbed up a ladder resting against the telephone pole. The crowd grabbed him, and as the rope was tightened, they managed to get it around his neck. 
Parrott tried to fight off the crowd, but as he did, the ladder was knocked out from under him, and he was hanging there. He still wasn't willing to die. He wasn't done. He grabbed hold of the pole with his free hands and tried to climb it. Can you picture this? Well, my question would be, as a interested observer, when you get to the top of the pole, what's your future going to be? Well, and uh, <laughs> how long can you hang on? You know. So anyway, he soon let go of the pole and said, and he was done. He's done. Toast. Well, the crowd was convinced of they. They were. When the crowd was convinced of Paris' death, they took him down. But they were afraid he might still find a way to survive, so they strung him up again. Uh, that's a good thing. Well, you know. They, <laughs> Make sure. They'll rerun know, like on TV. You know, they they were maybe a little uh, new at hanging people. Yeah, I see. You know, so, well, the body hung for almost an entire day. Before, was that enough? I think so. <laughs> before it was cut down by Coroner A.G. Edgerton who took the body to a nearby undertaking parlor and performed an autopsy. Oh. Now, here it gets a little more interesting. He was inter- assisted by Dr. John Osborne, Dr. McGee, and Lillian Heath, who was a 15-year-old assistant to Dr. McGee. I see. Now, Edgerton cut the top of Parrot's head off to examine his brain. But did they find anything? Reportedly looking to see... <laughs> If it was somehow different from a normal human brain. I see. It wasn't. <laughs> it looked the same. <laughs> so it was at this point that Parrot's place was cemented in Wyoming history as the situation kind of took a an unusual turn of events. I would say. Okay, Dr. Osborne took possession of the body. He gave the skull cap to Lillian Heath, the little, the fifteen-year-old girl. She, a fifteen-year-old girl wanted she, that. Yeah, she was. Uh, she actually became the first woman doctor in the state of Wyoming later on. Fifteen-year-old, so she had an interest in medicine. I would okay. say. Anyway, so I hesitate to go through this next part, but I have to do it. All right, because it's historical. Okay. Here we go. It's historical it, and it's historical. historical. Okay. So Osborne, Doctor Osborne, then cut portions of Paris' skin. For reasons that can only be labeled as bizarre, Uh Osborne had the skin tanned, sent to a local shoemaker to have a pair of shoes made. This is the doctor that did this? Yeah, yeah. That's gruesome. It is. Now, the shoemaker did make a pair of two-toned shoes from the skin provided by Dr. Osborne. Okay. Now, doctor, what, what kind of were they uh, to the point where you had to oil them every day? I don't know what they did with them, Zeb. I'm not even going to oh, okay. go there. Right. <laughs> doctor John Osborne went on to become the third governor of the state of Wyoming. Oh my! He wore the shoes to his inauguration. You've got to be kidding me! I mean, is it, I have a hard time with that. You know, how would you want to even touch them? No, no, I'd I'd want to bury them. So anyway, the rest of Parrot's remains were placed in a whiskey barrel filled with a saline solution and buried behind Dr. McGee's old office. So when the bones were found in this excavation in 1950, they found that the skull cap uh, uh, was missing, you know, that it was still gone. Dr. Heath, the 15-year-old young woman who had been present at the autopsy, was still alive in her 80s. She had been using the top of Parrot's head as a doorstop and reportedly as an ashtray. <laughs> you know, I thought... Just when you think I'm... Just when you think you're going to start to get back to normalcy, yeah, boop, yeah. you fall off the road. 
Well, the skull cap was brought to the site. A doorstop? Yeah, and, a, and an ashtray. The skull cap was brought to the site, placed on top of the skull, and determined to be an exact fit. So it was actually the thing. DNA tests years later would confirm that the skull cap and bones were from the same source. You know, so back in those it. days, have you noticed a little bit of gruesomeness? Yeah, you could call it that. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the historical part. Yeah. The remains of George, Big Nose Parrot, yeah. now rest in two separate locations, <laughs> never to be reunited. <laughs> The skull and those strange shoes are on display at the Carbon County Museum in Rollins, Wyoming. Really? The shackles Parrot used in his failed escape and the skull cap are on display at the Union Pacific Museum in Omaha, Nebraska. Did the governor, after he had those shoes made of that skin, did he notice that he could, uh, like, Climb tall trees and posts and everything. I think he avoided telephone poles and ropes. I mean, you know. This is sick. It is. And, you know, but, you know, I've told stories before about vigilantes. Oh, yeah. You know, there was one that happened up here south, uh, north of us up by Shoshone area. Yeah. Where a guy was a horse thief. They yeah. caught him. He yeah. was a horse thief. And I, I've told you this before, but they didn't have any trees up there. And so they pulled two wagons together and uh, uh, put the tongues up in the air, tied them together so they're up in the air. They tied the wagon wheels so they wouldn't move. And they strung this guy up from the two uh, uh, trees. Yeah. What do you call uh, you well, well you, the main uh, the hitch. The, yeah, the pole. Yeah, the uh, bar. I can't yeah. think of what it's called. Neither one of us can. <laughs> anyway, so they were hanging up. The, you know, they hung this guy from the. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. And they left him there for a while. And they didn't have any trouble with horse thieves for quite a while. Well, see, this is the whole thing about crime today. Do you not see that we've got to be tougher and make examples of some of these people? Yeah. And, you know. The, Maybe they hung a few people they shouldn't have. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, but big nose what George big nose George Parrot. Yeah. You know uh, the title of this is the skinning of big nose George Parrot. <laughs> That's the title of this. <laughs> yeah. And I got this uh, when I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This book right here. It happened in Wyoming. Uh, and it's a true story by Paul W. Papa. Oh my yeah. goodness. So. But, you know, really, when you think of the Old West, uh, they did not put up with any foolishness uh, maybe once, but twice was not an option. Well, there's another story that goes through my family of... uh, uh, Oh, did you have horse thieves in your family? Well, that possibly too, but this one particular relative years and years ago, uh, his wife was at home and uh, a, a vagrant came by and he wanted something to eat. And so she said, well, you go out and chop that wood, and uh, then I'll give you something to eat. Well, he got the axe, and he attacked this lady. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, the husband came, and uh, uh, he followed this guy and just beat the heck out of him. Did he uh, kill the lady? No, he didn't, but he attacked her pretty viciously. Oh, my goodness. uh, But the husband uh, uh, and his neighbor went and caught this guy and beat the heck out of him, and and the sheriff came by and said, well, you did what had to be done. Absolutely. So. Too bad we don't have more of that kind of justice. Yeah. Yep. 
Wow. Well, thank you so much for that uh, kind of disengaged story about Big Nose George. Yeah, and just enjoy lunch today. Yeah, you know, uh, but I I still can't get it out of my mind, the 15-year-old girl. Right. The callousness of using somebody's head, part of a head, for a doorstop. (laughs) Well, I've got to tell you, Zeb, when I was in chiropractic college in Los Angeles, we dissected uh, people from head to toe, yeah. and we did cut the top of the head off, the skull, uh-huh. so we could examine the brain. Right. So that wasn't, I guess, that unusual to, I see. to examine the brain. But see. you didn't use it as a doorstop. No, no, we didn't. Or an ashtray. No. Okay. I, uh, we left it there. Doctor History has completely done it again.